one nation, indivisible. That is a reference to this country, in case that didn't immediately register, (laughs) from the Pledge of Allegiance written by Francis Bellamy in 1892. One nation, indivisible. It's kind of hard to recognize this as a description of this country considering our current circumstances. You are more apt to encounter descriptors like deeply divided in addressing these times. In all fairness, however, and to put our own time in context, indivisible was more aspirational than descriptive even when the pledge was written in 1892. 1892, the year of the New Orleans general strike, where even as employers used the New Orleans press to incite racism, hatred, and fear, claiming that African-American strikers wanted to take over the city and that white women and children were already being harassed by black strikers, even in spite of all that, workers managed to stay together and to negotiate a 10-hour workday and overtime pay. 1892, the Johnson County War was raging in Wyoming between large established ranchers and small settlers fighting over limited resources of land and water and disputes over ownership of cattle. 1892, the Civil War, the clear antithesis of indivisible, could still be seen in the proverbial rearview mirror. While post-war reconstruction, the attempt to reorganize society and institutionalize the freedom and equality of black people led to a vicious and violent backlash which sent waves of trauma and devastation across the land. And those unresolved resentments, bitterness, and racism of that time have carried through to this very day when we have seen the Confederate flag not only on bumper stickers and window decals, but in the halls of the Congress of this one nation, indivisible. As hard as these journeys into our history can be, they also curiously provide some kind of hope. Are we deeply divided today? Yes. Have we been before? Yes. It may be that it's gotten worse, however such things are measured, but division has been with us since the country's founding. We call ourselves, after all, the United States, and then say these states are indivisible, except for the fact that we have divided them into states They are united to the extent that they have joined together, but indivisible. And as we see all the problems of the present day up close, it can be all too easy to romanticize the past viewed from a comfortable distance away. Whenever we hear of a golden age in this country's history, it is fair to ask, golden for whom? Whenever we hear of a time when we were all united, it is fair to ask, who is we? It may not be grammatically correct, but you get my point. Who is the we in this sentence? We were all united. 
In this admittedly deeply divided country, there are naturally many passionate, plaintive, prophetic calls even urging us toward unity. And I get that. I feel A. Paul Davies' befuddlement as he places the wonder and brevity of our lives beside the too often petty and painful ways in which we use the time we have. How strange and foolish are these walls of separation that divide us? I mean, unity, for goodness sake, Unitarian, Universalist, we are all about unity. God is one. We share a common source and a common destiny. We need not think alike to love alike. If we agree in love, there is no disagreement that can do us any injury. Let us endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. So yes, on one level, the calls to unity resonate deeply within me and within the living tradition that I love. And I admit I also find these calls for unity on another level a little unsettling. As much as I am inclined to reach toward them, I am equally inclined to, if not resist, at least hesitate, to at least pause and ask some questions. What does it mean to unite exactly? How do we know when we have achieved it? What happens to our real disagreements? the courage of our convictions, the important differences that do exist. What is the cost of coming together? At what price? Unity. And who precisely is included? Because I was thinking of these words, divided, division. I was wondering about the root words and thinking what other words start with div, 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 diversity. There are forces at work today trying to convince us that diversity is division. That diversity divides us, that it is harmful. Are you with me? Hearkening back to last week's service. You see, the calls for unity can be inspired by several different motivations and can be intended to achieve several different purposes. They just need to be clarified. And it is not that easy to extend ourselves beyond the camps which we have constructed, to break down the walls we have built, to cross those lines that divide us. If it were easy, we would have done it, and we wouldn't be in this state of dissension and separation that inspires the calls for unity that we hear not only now but across time and that most likely have rung out during the entire history of humanity. If we are to engage with this call, we must do it with integrity and courage and commitment and know that we can bring our full selves to the task and know that it is a worthy goal. But wait, you say, how could unity not be a worthy goal? Unity all by itself is not inherently good. People have united in very compassionate and noble ways. And they have united for incredibly brutal and destructive purposes. 
The call for unity can be a call to squelch principled resistance, to silence dissent, to smooth over difficult realities. Unity, like peace, needs context. As exemplified by the phrase, no justice, no peace. Picture this, a family, the human family at a holiday dinner. Now that is the classic context for bringing potentially explosive differences together in one place. In that context, I may strive to maintain or achieve family unity in perfectly legitimate ways. I may realize, for example, that while my opinions are incredibly important to me, I do not need to voice each and every one of them at the dinner table. I may practice listening to others beyond the buzzwords of political parties or policies to try and hear the underlying values being expressed. I may nurture the humility to accept my own inherent frailties as a human being, thus being more able to understand and accept those frailties in others. I may notice the way that we all, regardless of opinions and differences, how we can all often transcend our inherent frailties to engage in powerful acts of kindness and compassion. Those are meaningful and laudable ways of reaching toward unity. However, let's face it, the human family is often a dysfunctional one. To achieve family unity, we sometimes agree to not talk about real problems. We sometimes join in shared denial about uncomfortable realities. We sometimes pretend we are something or someone other than who we really are. We sometimes imagine that to accept the other person, we must feign agreement with their opinions. Because it is one thing to refrain from voicing my every opinion at the dinner table of the human family. It is another to hold my tongue if my sister is not served any food. Unity, or at least the appearance of unity, can be achieved through acceptance or denial, transparency or secrecy, honesty or manipulation, compassion or coercion. Trust or fear, and it matters which it is. Fear binds people together, writer Susan Sontag said in a 2003 speech. Fear binds people together and fear disperses them. Courage inspires communities. The courage of an example, for courage is as contagious as fear. That's a hopeful state. You see, fear can cause a certain type of unity, but it is not a sturdy unity. Witness 9-11. Witness COVID-19. It is not a trustworthy unity, and it is rarely an inclusive unity. Rather, it is or quickly becomes the unity of us against them. Sontag goes on to say, to fall out of step with one's tribe, to step beyond one's tribe is a complex 
difficult process. It will always be unpopular. It will always be deemed unpatriotic to say that the lives of the members of the other tribe are as valuable as one's own. It is easier to give one's allegiance. There's that word. It is easier to give one's allegiance to those we know, to those we see, to those with whom we are embedded, to those with whom we share a community of fear. If we picture unity as an uncritical acceptance of our tribe, our community of fear, moral courage, and principled resistance will always feel like a threat. If we are to be indivisible, make it with the entire interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Because the voices that keep me honest, that challenge my ability to deny what is real, that expose my uneasy compromise with injustice, that disturb my comfortable privileged place at the table of the human family, those voices will always arise from the margins. Those voices will always come from the minority. Those voices will always appear to be disturbing the peace, threatening unity, causing dissension. So I must aspire to a more robust and realistic vision of unity, one that takes as its starting point that we are inextricably connected to each other, caught, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny, and that no amount of disagreement or dissension or perceived divisions can ever change that. A unity that does not seek to silence disagreement, but invites active, respectful engagement across a variety of perspectives, seeking greater understanding without ever asking people to surrender their moral courage. A unity that calls us forth from our respective ideological camps to encounter strangers and to know ourselves as strangers meeting one another, opening ourselves to new experiences, new ways of understanding, and new ways of taking action. A unity that not only accepts but requires that I bring my whole self as it is based on honesty and is not threatened by but strengthened through diversity. That kind of unity, frankly, seems like a lot of work, doesn't it? I sometimes hold a romantic vision of what unity might be like. Come on, people, now. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. But that's it, right? Try to love one another. Can't we all just get along, asked Rodney King, and that question has yet to be answered conclusively. It's a work in progress. And if we are to move toward unity, it will be because we are ever attentive to voices from the margins, because we are ever willing to expand our notions of who we are, 
because we ground our moral courage and principled resistance not in our overriding desire to win the argument, to be right, but because we are indeed trying to love one another right now. And that is not easy. To know ourselves as kindred to one another in all things is hard. How strange and foolish are these walls of separation that divide us. Yes, but it is no mystery that we build them because it makes life easier. It is easier to separate ourselves, to remain in our camps, to cast our compassion only this far. We may sometimes see unity as a relief from the hard work of disagreement and dissension and division, but the fact may be that we find ways to separate ourselves from one another to find relief from the unmistakably hard work of truly engaging our interdependence, truly trying to love one another. But we are Unitarian Universalists. And we are all about engaging interdependence and unity in the midst of diversity and recognizing our common source and common destiny and deepening connections. 